Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven. Unfortunately, flying solo tonight. It's me as always, Gnarly Canary. Uh, Steps got called away because Oklahoma has decided to replay the story of Noah this week. But um, either way, with me tonight, we have the amazingly talented and creative force behind The Force and the Fury. Uh, a really cool Star Wars film that I've watched multiple times. And tonight we have Jason Satterland and Deborah Smith on. Thanks so much. Hello. <laughs> Good to be on. I know. I've seen like so much momentum rolling for this thing. How does that feel? That's got to be awesome. It's really exciting. Super, super exciting. You know, you make these things and you never know if anyone's going to watch it. So when people do, it's like, what? You like our work? Yay! Right? I love that. Like, I made a thing and everyone's like, we love your thing! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool because we actually have a very specific, um, you know, reason we, we made it and everyone seems to get that, which is great. Um, so that's always good that yeah. the reason behind it is really coming through the work. And what is that reason? Well, we're, we're all Star Wars fans, um, so we very much wanted to do that. Um, but it was really Jason's idea to really focus on the characters um, mm. and just create a really strong relationship between two characters in the Star Wars universe instead of focusing on, you know, special effects or lightsaber battles. Like, that's definitely a key part of it. But the relationship was supposed to be number one, and that's something that everyone keeps commenting on, which is super cool. That's really, yeah. That's. I mean, we're not we're not a big studio. We're not Disney or Lucasfilm. So we don't have the money to build giant sets and shoot in uh, Tunisia or whatever. So all we have are characters that we can lean on. And, uh, but we need to get not, not that strong with visual effects. So like to be able to just tell a human story was, was really what we wanted to do. And it's cool that everyone's responded positively to that. I mean, it's needed though. So much. For sure. I mean, I, I think I think that's what the original films lacked a little bit, and I think that's what a lot of fan films I've seen could use more of. Like, it tends... I know the visual effects are sexy, and, you know, it's, it's the icing on the cake, but without a, a human element to the story, nothing really matters. And, you know, personally, I'd never really seen a story about the monastic life of Jedi. Right. You know, how they give up their families or a potential family for this higher calling. And to me, that's super interesting to see, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what did you leave in your wake when you made that decision? Who did you leave behind? And uh, ironically, initially when I came up with the concept for the idea it was two men, um, one of them in training and one, you know, both Jedi, but they were thinking one was hunting the other, something like that. But, uh, this is like a year or so ago when I decided to switch it to a female character. It just it somehow I took it to a whole new level of the idea of love and um, broken hearts and things. Not that two men can't be in love, but you know, I don't yeah, know I, know, I know what you mean. <laughs> we haven't seen that in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I don't think have we? yet. No, yet. I don't think so. The sequel, right? She's really a man. Don't. You'll lob a hand grenade and the left wing and the right wing will start fighting over Star Wars. And that's one of the few things that people haven't started ripping each other apart over. Yeah. Uh, it's so pervasive now. Like, all my escapes and all the things I love, you go on you go on the internet and you're like, I love Batman. And everyone's like, ah, crap down your throat because this thing. And you're like, no, just just love Batman with me. Why, why, why do you hate that guy? And why does that guy hate you? Everybody stop hating each other. Like, <laughs> Although I think we can all collectively agree that uh, we all hate Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> you know what, though? <laughs> I knew if I said that. <laughs> oh, no. I wanted to see him die a, a thousand horrible deaths. But you know that there's somebody out there that's like, Misa offended that you said that. And I'm sorry to whoever listens to this for my Jar Jar impression, but I guarantee you there'll be like one person that was like, right? Like, well, Steps is funny because he defends the prequels, but we have quite a bit of an age difference. I'm 36 and he just turned 30. Mm. 
So I am full on an 80s kid, and the prequels were an, an unmitigated nightmare for, for some of us. And he said, well, those are the ones that I got to go see in the theater with my dad. And those sure. were, you know, like those were my first like Star Wars movies that were coming out for me as a kid. You know, the other ones were made and they're amazing, but these were the ones that were new when I was a kid. So, I mean, I, I could understand that, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I don't give him any credence to validity of opinion for anything positive for Jar Jar Binks, but, you know, it's there. For sure. But I was going to say, um, you guys really sold a story. And, and I'm not just saying that because you're on. Um, I got. I got really sucked in with with the, with the dialogue, but you know the the give me a reason. <laughs> Boy, did you land that line like a punch on the jaw! Like it it actually like the hairs on my neck stood up when you you know like oh. you guys nailed it. Like that is what's missing from a lot of the Star Wars. Sure, it's great to see another trench run and the forty eighth Death Star get blown up, but there's. <laughs> so much underneath that's not told and the only you know the only deviating from the Jedi order you know falling in love and everything that we saw had had almost like the same amount of fallout on a much bigger scale uh-huh. um but yeah i mean it showed it and it if you see like what what you guys did like there's that much pain and there's that much resentment and and anger over somebody following the Jedi Order. I mean, it comes out at the perfect time of a Star Wars trailer dropping where <laughs> Luke Skywalker says the Jedi needs to die. You know, like you guys, your timing whether planned or not is impeccable to show you know, Completely unplanned, we promise. <laughs> well, that's one of the happier accidents I've seen in a long time then. Yeah, that's- well, that means a lot that that struck you so well because that was uh, that was hard to shoot that scene because we were in a swamp. Literally, all of us were waist deep in mud and water. So Dagobah. Three- so we only had a couple takes, and there were literally things swimming past Deb's legs, like during all of that. that- yeah, I was freaking out a little bit. You're braver than I. I'm one of those when I go to the beach. I am that. Big burly man screaming in a high sea that something touched my foot. So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I do enjoy getting, you know, down and dirty, whatever it takes for a role. Um, but it definitely got to a point where I, w- I just said to Jason, um, can we please wrap this up? Because uh, there's definitely something in this swamp and we can't see what it is. So. Well, it's a testament to Deb and Eris's acting there because they're both freezing. It's freezing. I mean, and Eris is on his belly crawling through that mud. Right. The sun came down. It had been raining. Um, it was the last day. They were, we were all exhausted. Deb's got stuff swimming past her in a swamp. But, you know, you can't just rush through it. I mean, we were rushed, but you can't. To try to deliver emotion with those kinds of circumstances is really hard. So, Well, kudos to you guys because you nailed it. Thank you so much. It's ironic, you know, with the story, because when we first edited it, the whole opening of it, the setup of how she knew him wasn't in the script. We we were realizing, we did some test screenings, and the, the note that we got back from everyone is that when she tells him that she knows him and tries to get him to love her again, it wasn't hitting as hard because no one knew what the history was until that moment. Right. So we had to rebuild the entire opening with her talking to him on the radio. Oh, wow. Completely manufactured after the fact. Nice. So, I mean, with this thing taking off, uh, have you guys thought about um, maybe, like, keeping the characters, maybe broadening the story? Because you can tell that there is an amazing story underneath what we got to see. Like, there's a history, and then there's the drama of what's going forward with him saying don't. And you just nailing that. Give me a reason when something else is definitely on the horizon. That's a great question. <laughs> and, and, you know, we hadn't thought about that, but a lot of people have commented, please make more, make it longer. Do yes. I so, like, <laughs> I, you know, I, we haven't talked about it. I mean, of course it'd be fun to continue it. 
Uh, but that's that, we haven't like I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, we have a couple other projects that we're working on outside of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, can, um, are you guys um, able to speak to those? I mean, we're horse. Yeah. <laughs> then spill it, spill it. <laughs> yeah, we um we've actually been spending the day working on a a script um that we're just finalizing um called Fluke. Uh-huh. And um so that's our our next feature that we're going to be shooting. Um yeah, it's about a an ex-con who you know, who has to live on the straight and narrow realizes he's living next door to a serial killer. And his uh sister may have been the last victim. It's kind of a Oh my god, so much of the yes for that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in the spirit of uh, don't breathe or or get out, you know, that kind of a thriller. Yeah. Um, again, doing the multi-ethnic approach with that. That's a, that's something close to me. Believe it or not, it's close to me, even though I'm a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so yeah, there's a, there's a number of things on the horizon. Um, of course, it'd be great to do another Star Wars. Actually, we're hoping to just, you know, maybe J.J. Abrams would just call. And let me direct the next one. That'd be, right. I would be okay with that. Yeah. I would allow that. That'd be... Me too. Mm. And then I would just crumble inside when I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I just know how to write and, you know, sometimes act in things. <laughs> I, know, I took on a thing and it's too big. You know, he comes on, where's the director? Um, For the past five days, he's been that ball in the corner. I don't know. It shrieks really loud when you get near it. So we've just been working around it. Yeah, Let's set shoot. up some caution tape. Yeah, shoot some insert shots while we wait. Mm. I know. Like I'm, I, uh, you know, we we started. Um, Steps and I. I wish she was here, for but Steps and I met on the internet by chance. And I've always written, and um, was big in drama school and high school. I've done theater stuff since then. I actually traveled around the country and did Renaissance festivals for two years. No kidding. Super uh, cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I went from one extreme to the other. So at 18, I signed up for airborne infantry in the army. And then uh-huh. when that was done, I swung and hung out with hippies for a couple of years. Uh, just doing Ren fairs. So I've always been around creative people. I've never really branched out on anything on my own. And uh, I met Steps on the internet. And we just started talking because we like the same stuff on social media. And then he was like, well, I have a blog. Do you want to write? And I was like, sure. So I wrote up a review for Final Fantasy XV. I did a a look back retrospective on the evolution of the zombie, covering everything from Night of the Living Dead up to the girl with all the gifts. And he was like, well, do you ever want to do like a YouTube channel? And I was like, not really. I have a face for radio. And then... (laughs) And then he was like, well, let's do, uh, let's try a podcast. And I've always wanted to. I listen to all of Kevin Smith's podcast and, Mm -hmm. you know, Chris Hardwick launched the Nerdist. And I was like, oh, people like to talk about the things I I like. Yeah. So we started this and, you know, it's kind of, it's taken off. Um, It's pretty amazing. So the, the creative space is just, it's fun right now. Like, you know, years ago. What what we're doing right now would have never happened. Your guys' ability to make the cool stuff you're making, you know, would have been a lot more difficult. It's just it, we're kind oh, of like in an entertainment renaissance right now, and it's oh yeah. And I gotta say, it's it's such a huge hats off to people like Disney and Lucasfilms. Well, a lot of companies do this to allow us to make fan films. Like that's such a lot of people ask, you know, how how do you how are you able to get the rights to something like that? And basically, if you don't make money on it, everyone's fine with it, which is such a, it's a great way to show your love for the universe mm-hmm. and, you know, to get some eyes on your work and to, it's a great advertisement for them. We did another fan film prior to this called for, for the video game Splinter Cell. <gasps> oh, are you a Splinter Cell fan? Oh, no. That's some good <laughs> stuff right there. I'm Sam Fisher. I think the government... Oh, oh great. Okay, so the same guy in uh, Star Wars, Eris Jusan, is the main guy in Splinter Cell Extraction. You can find that on, also on our YouTube channel. 
um, it should, in fact, it should autoplay right after Star Wars, if I remember right. But yeah, go check out YouTube, Extra- or I'm sorry, Splinter Cell Extraction. And, uh, yeah. It's basically, uh, I only make movies where Eris gets beat up. Gets beat up. And uh, in Star Wars, he gets beat up for seven minutes. And in Splinter Cell, he gets beat up for 15. So does he ever make raise questions how that correlates to y'all's relationship outside of movies? Like... <laughs> Did I make you mad? He's one. He's basically the Rock. Uh, he, he carries himself like Dwayne Johnson. You know, he kind of has that thing going. So maybe it's just my insecurity as a man being around someone so tall and good looking. <laughs> so, I'm gonna get someone small to beat you up like a girl. Dude, I'm five foot seven. Like, Napoleonic disorder is like as soon as I get around a jockey six foot something, I'm like, I could take him. He never did anything wrong to you. Doesn't matter. I could take yeah. him. Yeah, Eris is like six, five. Yeah, something. something like that. Wow. It was actually really funny in the rehearsals for Star Wars. They were doing, they were working out their choreography. I think I have this on video somewhere. And Deb, in the first section of the fight, you know, when they're in the woods. Yeah. It's all in the woods. But in the very first time when the sabers clash, she kicks him off and kicks him down the hill. In the rehearsal for that, she kicks him once and she ended up flying backwards because he he ended up planting his feet just because that's just how he stands and he forgot to like fall and instead it made her bounce off of him it was quite funny that she just that's <laughs> amazing meet the immovable object right so Deborah, um is uh what, what what other projects have you been in like I noticed that uh, I don't think this is the first time you've, you've been in anything. No, it's not. Um, not. No, I've, I've done a few projects. I was actually um, completely by chance ended up in this uh, for The Force and the Fury. I was up in Portland shooting another feature and, um, and producing. Yeah, I, I produce a lot of films as well. And awesome. So I was, yeah, so I was starring and producing in another feature set in Portland um and Jason happened to be the special effects coordinator slash locations manager slash producer yeah. um on that film and um we were about two and a half or three weeks into shooting and we just happened to go to breakfast one day and he was telling me about this fan film that he was making and he just so happened to get a call from the woman who was supposed to play Kira and she booked another feature which meant that she couldn't couldn't do that role mm-hmm. and uh, so Jason sort of looked across the table at me and said well do you want to read the script <laughs> would you like to do this um, and I said absolutely because I love I really love doing physical action um, I love pushing myself outside of my comfort zone uh, I love trying new sports, like I'm very active, so, and I have done stunt choreography stuff before, so anything that, mm. in that realm, I, <laughs> on a lot, on all of my social media handles, I have, um, superhero in training as one of my taglines, mm-hmm. <laughs> I sort of, I've always, I just very clearly remember growing up as a kid, going to the movies, and seeing the, like, comic book flapping of like the Marvel like opening of you know Marvel movies or anything like that and I always got chills like I just love that world so much um and so that's always been a dream of mine to be to play anywhere in the sci-fi fantasy comic book realm I hear you I've always wanted to be a goonie (laughs) so bad never done well, Deb is tearing it up right now, by the way. She's going to a film festival. you got a film premiering at the... What's the festival? Yeah, I'm actually... I'm headed to Arkansas tomorrow to Bentonville Film Festival, which is um, Gina Davis's film festival. And uh, a wow. film that I produced and act in, acted in um, a year ago is premiering, having our world premiere there. Actually, on Star Wars Day, on May 4th. What's it <laughs> called? Yeah. So... Yeah, another one coming up in 
later in the year. Yeah, and then I have another feature that I'm also producing and starring in um, called Last Three Days, um, which is a neo-noir thriller, uh, which would also probably be up your <laughs> line of um, something that you would like, Jason, because it's, it's basically about an undercover cop who gets involved in a drug ring and ends up sort of abandoning his marriage because of that. Um, and I'm his wife. Um, and he wakes up one day and the last three days of his life are gone. His wife is gone and his, uh, partner, his undercover cop partner are gone. And so it's sort of the vein of like memento, um, or brick where he sort of has to figure out what's happened over the last three days of his life. Yeah. So we just had a table read for that last week, and that is super awesome. Um, so I'm really excited shooting that in August here in L.A. So, yeah, I've got a lot of cool Crushing stuff it. happening Crushing right it. now. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. That's pretty cool. And so, so what other stuff do you have going on, Jason? Me well, the big thing for me, you know, I'm a, I've been directing for quite a while. I do a lot of commercial work and things like that. Um, and so, Fluke is the big thing that we're working on right now. We do have some interested parties that could help get this off the ground, which is super exciting. There's another alternate project I'm working on called The Planet Tender. Um, the last movie I did was called The Record Keeper. It, uh, which you can find the trailer and all that for that on my website. Um, and on the YouTube page. Yeah, on the YouTube page. Uh, that film did pretty well. You know, world premiered at Raindance. And uh, it's a, basically, it's a steampunk story about angels. It's kind of a cool sci-fi look at the angelic world. Wow. Mankind. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like, we really had fun with it. And, uh, I mean, I didn't know much about steampunk before we started the process. Um, but just fell in love with that whole world anyway this is a follow-up to the record keeper it's a it's a present-day telling of uh, angels battling for the good of mankind and oh, that's um, so cool it's definitely another one um again as and i don't know why this is but i have a real passion for multicultural approaches to filmmaking so in the record keeper there are 20 languages spoken. Um, the lead is a, you know, the main person is a, uh, a female. And there's an African-American and a Korean who are best friends. Those are the main three characters. And then there's just, I mean, all kinds of cultures represented. And the same thing is true in the sequel. Like, um, lots of languages, lots of, all the colors of the rainbow, as it were. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you're doing something from an angelic perspective, I mean... You know, yes. I, guarantee, I I doubt that, and um, I, I I actually am a believer. I was at church this morning. Um, oh. I well, doubt the angels the only speak. You know, I mean, it talks about uh, you know the day of Pentecost, where you know in in Jerusalem um, there were you know it, it was a giant market and. The the apostles, um, Jesus had just ascended, and the apostles were speaking to the crowds, and it said, you know, like tongues of fire came down and settled on their tongues, and that people that didn't speak Aramaic or Hebrew at the time, that each apostle was speaking a different language, so that everyone could hear the same message. Uh-huh. You know, so I mean, yeah, like I doubt the angels only speak one language and and the world doesn't function on one language right you know so yeah i think it's important to to show that if you i mean from that perspective for sure and i mean just to me like the white lead it's been done like uh, our world is shifting and changing and and to see more ethnic diversity in film and, and storytelling is much more interesting to me in general. But when you're talking about an angelic perspective, that's even more so because, and now that I know your background, you're going to really like record keeper because it is Bible stories told from an angelic perspective. Nice. It's basically what they, we never see a human in the whole film. You're just seeing how they react to something like Noah's Ark. They, they don't know what's going to happen. 
and you're they actually listen to the flood on the radio like they're on an old steampunk like kind of radio thing dude um, <laughs> so you're, the, the premise i'll map out the premise for you the, the premise of the record keeper is there is an angel tracking the events of mankind so she is watching what's going on and she's interviewing good and bad angels like all right tell me what happened and then like tracking their events and she has one good and one bad angel show up or i should say fallen angel show up at the same time and they give their version of events and these two one fallen one not there they happen to be like very close best friends and uh which is very accurate yeah yeah as the story progresses you see their relationship fall apart um we saw a huge response from that film and you know it just encapsulated everything i love with dynamic storytelling dipping into history that we all know um you know diversity lots of languages sci-fi stuff i mean it just we got people flying and shooting lightning out of their fingers i mean that's awesome how cool is that and it's steampunk i mean come on right like for the first time in my life i actually reached out um to uh an amateur comic book artist and um i have a concept for something and then you know it's not a pitch it's just it you said the 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 biblical slant and angels and i was uh i've always had this story i've written it like three or four times and it's about this kid who's in his early 20s and he's had this recurring nightmare his whole life of being left on the steps of an orphanage um i'm from boston originally so that's where it's always set in my head mm-hmm. and it's a nightmare and and you realize that when the mother appears at the bottom of the steps of this cathedral where this boy spends his life in the orphanage and she starts talking to him about how she's going to take him home and as she's talking everything in the background exaggerates and gets really really dark and she starts almost falling apart like it goes into the fact that his mother was like a junkie and that you know like that's why he was given up and you see that but what he's seeing is like there's a demon underneath in the mother character and her face starts to crack like a porcelain doll hmm. and fall away to the thing that's underneath and it turns up with the thing like rushing up i mean there's there's all this dialogue da, 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 but it like rushes up the stairs towards him and right when it grabs him he wakes up in his in his room screaming at the ceiling and as he goes about his day, he starts to see what, what almost looks like to him is double vision when, when he looks at people. And what it is is he can see, like, um, the demons that are attached to people. Mm-hmm. And basically it ends up being where he can actually switch to the spiritual plane. Because in the Bible it always talks about how, you know, there's a war in a spiritual plane that, that man can't see. Like when we pray, it's not just somebody on their knees saying, "Oh, please help my mom no no longer be sick," and then God says, "Okay." It's you know you you dispatch that prayer, and God sends an angel, and that angel has to war with the demon or the principality that's causing the malady for who you're praying for. So like it ends up becoming he is he is an actual like every generation there's one chosen who can actually break from the physical plane and go to the spiritual plane and actually fight on the side of the angels against these demons. So, like, one part of the story is going to look like a, a, you know, like a young man just walking around during the day, you know, like like a normal day. But then the whole other half of the story is on this spiritual plane that's just crazy looking. And it's demons and angels, like, heavy combat, not trying to spare you know any any christian sensibilities and you know when whenever they put stuff out it's all like this really weak watered down don't want to offend any no this is like 300 combat uh-huh. you know with them fighting so yeah as soon as you started talking about that i was like <laughs> man that's up my alley i like that kind of stuff right there i've well i found you know i mean i know we're, we're off the topic of star wars quite a bit but yeah we didn't know with the record keeper. We had no idea what the response would be. Um, and I'm sorry, Deb. Deb is still here, but uh, we had no, <laughs> didn't mean to get off on this tangent. No, you're fine. But uh, 
we, you know, here we are trying to tell Bible stories in a new, interesting way. But what we found is that most people really love stories about angels, no matter what their background is. Right. Uh, it was. It ended up being kind of this common denominator. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, anyway, it's uh, it's a fascinating world. And what's really interesting is angels are found in most religions. Yep. I think Hinduism might be one of the few that doesn't have angels. I think that's right. Um, there's a, and on top of that, there's very little of them in the Bible. They're barely ever mentioned, and when they show up, they're like one or two lines, and they're out. So, like, you don't really get to see them too often, but mankind has been fascinated with this kind of supernatural beings um, mm-hmm. in most cultures and religions. So it's it's just a really fun world to play in. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So, getting back to Deborah, actually, I did ask a question, but I think we lost it in the shuffle. Was um, what's the name of the movie that you're bringing to um, to Arkansas? Oh, yes, of course. Um, it's called Parker's Anchor. Okay. Um, has nothing to do with sci-fi, actually. <laughs> it's uh, it's a film about a woman who uh, discovers that she can't have children. Um, and her husband leaves her, so she goes back home in order to rediscover herself, um, you know, and sort of find that the people at home are the people who have always been there for her. Um, it's So it's sort of a rebirth story. Uh, it's really quite... It's really quite beautiful and touching. Uh, we've gotten a really good response so far. Our screening is sold out. It actually sold out in two days. Congratulations! Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so that was great. That was actually the first feature that I produced uh, and acted in, which was just a blast. I, I filmed that a year and a half ago in Arkansas. Um, and I wanted to mention that, so Jason's actually now down in L.A., um, I'm I'm from LA and I'm based in LA and I was just up in Portland to shoot this other feature um, and that's where Jason was based but he's now based in LA and it was really cool one of the other reasons that we wanted to or that he wanted to make Star Wars was because he would he knew he was moving and he had such a strong film community in Portland that he yeah. wanted to you know like pull everyone together to make one last film and that's what The Force and the Fury was. So it's cool because it's sort of a goodbye to Portland as well as a hello to L.A., this is my calling card, which has yeah. <laughs> turned out pretty well. Nice. Uh, so far. It's nice to move to a town like this. A town. <laughs> city. I don't think so anyone's like, ever called L.A. a town. I know, right? <laughs> but to come here with something to show rather than something that I was out like four years ago. This is what I did a long time ago. Right. Uh, Most definitely. But, uh, but... Also, my hats off to the Portland film community because so much of the gear was donated and property and people's time that just showed up out of the love of both the genre and just because Portland film community is, I don't know, is the best. Like, they're just, it's a great place to film if you're looking for a place to shoot Mm. because beautiful locations that you'll see from Star Wars. Um, Yeah, so. Only thing I know about Portland is Portlandia. (laughs) but no um i mean like i said being in atlanta like right now i i can't walk down a street or try to drive anywhere without seeing yellow signs up oh yeah i mean did they're filming either infinity war or they've just finished black panther like literally five minutes from where i'm talking to you right now uh yeah like walking dead is an hour from me in sonoy um, Stranger Things is 45 minutes away, and what to, they were at my local mall because you know people still go to the mall down here. Um, they had Gwendolyn Christie on set for a movie called The Darkest Minds. It's mm. it's like you can't Grant Gustin, the my favorite yeah. Flash, Flash, he's, yeah, yeah, he's filming something here. Um, nice. it, it's yeah, it's crazy. So you know. That's- I'm, yeah, I'm starting to see that it doesn't just have to be one place where all the movies come from. Yeah. Right. You know, I used to live in Nashville, and when I lived there, 
Atlanta had not become the hot spot. Like there wasn't really much happening. Not but. yet. Genius government that decided uh, tax incentives right. really yeah. get people who have to pay California taxes and te- uh, uh, attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, it definitely goes, you know, it fluctuates. California actually this past year, um, I believe it was $90 million back into the industry. So wow. they got something like 13 shows returned to Hollywood that had Really? Yeah, that had originally been, that were either in Atlanta or Vancouver. Vancouver, last yep. Um, but even that, I mean, I have some friends who are studio execs, and ev- like maybe television is swinging back to Hollywood, but movies 100% are still outside of LA. Um, and that's so sad, though. Like, that's a whole, yeah. that's a legacy right there that's just not there yeah. anymore. Well, it's expensive to shoot here. Like, yeah. locations, it's crazy. Like, I mean, here's a perfect example of life in L.A. I did a film years ago where um, my sound designer was doing, you know, he's doing sound design, mixing, recording stuff. He pulled into a parking garage, rolled down his window, stuck a microphone out the window. A microphone, not a camera, just a mic. And a guard walked up and said, nope, you do not have a permit. You cannot record here and made him leave just recording like just in a parking spot with a microphone out the window like that's a classic example of how difficult it can be to shoot here wow. i think uh, a lot of people who are here recognize that um and that's probably why the swing is coming back the other direction because it has hurt a lot of the locals like i know a lot of people who've moved away to some of these other towns to work but it's also a little bit of a catch-22 because you know i lived in portland they shot um, Leverage, yeah. Grimm, the librarians, the librarians, and Portlandia are all shot there. And I think there's another. Oh, uh, they were gonna shoot the Rain Wilson show. I forget the name of it, um, but it didn't end up working out. But anyway, the only people that get to work on those shows are below the line people, grips, gaffers, sound guys, makeup artists, things like that. But they don't hire directors and writers and actors produces yeah, generally an actors too unless it's a five and under so like if you are one of those you have to go to la right so it's this strange yeah that's you know, weird because here you know georgia's non-union so right. there's uh, all these studios i mean to do certain things you have to join a union right you know but this is a right to hire right to fire state and there are a lot of companies that help with production that aren't unionized yeah so the you know what i mean like the the labor's cheaper the contract's way easier to to work out and i don't know i just know that i've seen in the past couple years it was oh they're filming here and there trickle the walking dead was a big deal you know oh they're shooting in atlanta and now they're out you know in in south of atlanta way out in the country doing stuff and and now it's just like you can barely get two or three streets before you're getting turned away from something else. Detour. Yeah, I'm getting really used to yellow signs and detours. And I'm 30 miles outside of the city, and it's the same way here. I mean, Oprah's got some show called Greenleaf. um, And that is all over the place here. Um MacGyver's getting filmed all over the place here. Uh, so there's like a lot of TV series and uh-huh. movies. So it's like you can't you can't throw a rock without hitting a grip or a PA standing with a radio trying to keep people away at this, at this point. Right. Around here. I mean, we actually, we met Omar Epps um, filming that Resurrection show that was on a couple of years ago. Uh, they took our entire downtown to film that show. And my wife and I were just out on a date. Like, the kids went with Nana for the night, and we were just out on a date. And we went to our local, our favorite local restaurant. And walking out, there was Omar Epps just walking up the road in between takes. Yeah. And it was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really why, you know, I mean, to be brutally honest here, that's why you make a fan film like a Star yeah, Wars film. in a place like Portland. Right. Because you can, right? You know, we we shot actually on um, Jason's uncle's neighbor's property, <laughs> so nice. we, you know, yeah, we called in a favor there. Um, 
But the thing is, is I mean, because it's a Star Wars film, we can get eyes on it. Because so many filmmakers, you know, they, they and, and I do, I have to say that I've worked with a lot of directors, and I think that Mr. Satterlin sitting next to me is one of the most incredible directors I've worked with, and he, he deserves, you know, all the accolades that are coming to him. But it's really difficult to get your work seen yeah, because is. there's just so much out there. And that's why, you know, we, I mean, of course, it's for the love of Star Wars, but it's also to showcase the talents of him, of his um, director of photography that he always works with, um, and, you know, to, to, to really showcase his team. And you. Yeah, and your ability to <laughs> Jedi beat, you know, lightsaber beat oh. the crap out of someone twice your size. <laughs> well, thank you. This lady <laughs> appreciates it. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's really, uh, it's to show that, you know, even, you know, that we deserve a shot as well. Yeah. Um, Most at definitely. At something bigger, because I know, you know, I know that Jason can do it, um, and he's got a lot of, a huge community of people that, you know, actually there's, if you talk to pretty much anyone in the Portland film community, they will say like, oh, Jason Satterland, yeah, he should have moved to LA years ago, (laughs) (laughs) because he's just so darn talented. Um, I'm totally going to buy you chocolate. Oh, thanks. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) No, but it's funny with the fan... There's an interesting dynamic that I'm noticing with Star Wars, which... So if you make your own film, let's say you make a short, you want to get your work seen, you're going to have to build your audience from zero. you know, Or just on the fans of you personally. You right. Know, anybody who likes you. You might get a thousand views if you're lucky. Right. You know, I've been down this road lots of times. But if you build a film around a pre-existing IP like Splinter Cell or Star Wars, like, suddenly you grab a group, like, you're interested in seeing Splinter Cell because you're a fan of the game. Right. Like, seeing something that, it automatically opens you up to a much bigger audience. It makes it a lot easier to get eyes on your project. Mm. But, but, you better do it right because people will criticize you. Like, with Star Wars, it's interesting to me to see what some of the criticisms have been. Um, because they people are so into Star Wars, but well, most most of these genres, but so into Star Wars, they want it respected. They want it to be right. They want it to be to honor the Jedi. They want to honor the Star Wars universe. So, right, there's like a zealotry there. They, they have been. They have. People been. have been very receptive, honestly. Like yeah. the the main criticisms that we have been getting have been. Um, I mean, the one that's been mentioned a few times is the parachute, which is funny. Oh, that is interesting. Because, um, you know, uh, yes, of course, a Jedi probably would not have a parachute on him. But would he? But they might. That's, that's, and that's, seen a parachute. Why not? You if know? he's flying on a solo mission, he wasn't expecting to see her. Right. right. Like, you know, so. He crash landed. Not every TIE fighter blows up in space. Right. Well, in uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah. We see Finn wake up in the desert. We don't actually see a parachute. Right. He's got to get to the land somewhere. I'm right. assuming that there was. It, it, it's really funny. That comment and uh, the fact that he doesn't recognize her when she's got a mask on her face. That's the comment we've gotten of like, well, a true Jedi would recognize her. That's th- These are such subtle little things. Oh, that, yeah, but that's just zealotry for zealotry's sake. Yeah. Right. Completely. I mean, all I'm saying is my whole point is that if you decide to, to delve into making a fan film, these are the kinds of things that you have to think about. Like, yeah, yeah, like what's, what, what is precious to be? Right. Yeah. Make sure Completely. that you it really put a lot of pressure on us. In fact, we, have a lot, we had a lot of discussions on set about would he do it? Would he fight like this? No, no, he would never do that because of it. You know, a lot of like in plot points. I yeah. can't remember any specifics off the yeah. top of my head, but like... But and, and here's the thing what's also really cool is like because it was a fan film, so we have this we have this pre existing IP and like this pre existing fan base, but then Jason can also add his own spin to it. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that we've got the lightsaber that is a little bit broken and he's having I loved that touch. That. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's Thank completely you. Jason and that that just shows you know 
he basically takes the given circumstance of a story and then just tweaks it a little bit so that it just makes it a little bit more, I mean, interesting, dare I say, and, and heightens the tension a little bit more. Right. Um, and, and, and so that's what's really cool, I think, working with someone who's actually a filmmaker, someone who's a director and, and a true storyteller that will take a Star Wars story but then make it just a little bit better um, and a little bit more interesting. And that's what, you know, is so cool about, you know, working on this next feature with Jason is is thinking about, um, you know, how we can do the same thing where we take the story that he's got and then just put his touch on it to heighten the tension, raise the stakes, make it just a little bit more interesting for everyone. Right. So it's pretty cool. I'm going to buy you more chocolate. <laughs> no, I loved, I loved the the dysfunctional lightsaber, and and here's okay. why. All right, so in the original trilogy, right, uh-huh. we have Luke cobbling together his own lightsaber, right, because he had the one, and then he got his hand cut off in Empire, right, and make. It... Okay, he barely got trained by Obi Wan. First of all. Okay, and I love these movies, but I'm not zealous to the point of overlooking things. Yeah. Okay, he barely got trained with it. I love the meme where it shows gets handed one of the deadliest weapons in the galaxy, instantly holds it up to his eye. You know, like <laughs> so, like he builds this lightsaber, and it's all balanced on these crystals. You know, the the crystal that you put in, and the da da da. His never had an issue. It's the first one he built. There's a good chance. That there's been a Jedi out there that when they built their first lightsaber, it blew up in their hand. Yeah, right. You would think, yeah. So, like, seeing them actually be a functional tool that can break, that's because you don't really see that. Like, that was definitely an an original take on a lightsaber fight. Like, not only is it tense because this thing will cut you to pieces and carterize you at the same time. But now you're in a life-or-death battle, and yours keeps switching off. Like, that's a whole different original tension added to the beloved lightsaber fight. So, I mean, yeah, definitely kudos on, on the creativity on that one. I really liked that touch of, like, holy crap, this could come down to, like, her doing a swing where he needs to arc up in defense, and that thing turns off. And then there's two Jedi, but they're both laying on the ground because they're supposed to be one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had more plans, too, to to actually enhance that more in the battle of, but it's, it was extremely difficult to shoot. Um, and to try to get, you know, him, like even having her wound him with us, with a lightsaber, like mm-hmm. suddenly you have multiple costumes with burn marks and then then you tear it. Some like it became this really complicated, uh, thing that we had to just kind of skip past a lot of it. So we, well, it became, it became the, it goes back to the original thought of like what are we trying to do here we're trying to tell a good story so like if yes that might be cool to show you know blistering wounds but if if it doesn't add something Mm -hmm. to the story itself then like you know maybe we focus instead on what's what's actually important there so right i found it interesting in the star wars universe how the, the light, and if, if anyone ever loses their lightsaber, it always conveniently just shuts off. Right. Or if they fall with it, they never fall on it. Like, it's right. always a... <laughs> yeah, there's always know, that. That was right. kind of the part of where the idea came from, is just this complete convenience on it always working properly, even if you fall or drop it. Right. Um, and you see it, like, I mean, in the last one, like, it's been dropped a couple of times, and it magically just turns off while it's flying through the air. And I don't know quite what, I haven't read the book, so I don't know the physics of it. Maybe it needs a hand grip or something. I'm assuming it's a button. Yeah. I know the one I have has a big red button. And then you 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 flip it out and it slides out. Well, in in fact, in the filming of it, that was one of the issues we had on Deb's lightsaber. She kept hitting the button during the fight. Well, and and it was so cold. Oh yeah, the batteries kept on. Yeah, that was one of the biggest issues is that it was so cold out there was that the batteries kept being eaten up super quickly. So we ended up having to give the bat we get we got extra batteries, gave them to the sound guy who had those hand warmers in his pockets. <laughs> and so then he would just like 
have six batteries in his pockets, and we'd just swap them out as much as we could. Oh, wow. But then you would keep hitting the button. And I'd keep hitting the button, yeah. So, like, through the... Because, you know, they give off actual light, so you can see the red reflecting on her face. So I was going to say, you did so good with that. Like the yeah. Thank you. Well, the... So, with her... If she hits the button during a fight, then suddenly the lighting changes. So we had to tape a giant washer over the on-off switch yeah. to keep her from hitting it. But with Eris, <laughs> with Eris, it was completely different because he's got a lightsaber that's turning on and off. What that meant was is when we shot it, we had to shoot each fight twice. One with – because the, the sabers that we used were from Saber Forge, which is a company based in Portland. They have removable swords or uh, – Blades. Blades. So they're actually made to fight with. You know, you can. They're actually hitting really hard with the blades, nice. but you can pop them off really easily. So Eris, we do the fight once with a blade. They go pop up up through the choreography. Then he pulls his out and then fakes it so that we can easily shut it off during the take. But that means that there's no light on his face. So we had to simulate all of that. So like anytime you see it with the lightsaber off, we've got another light trying to coordinate off screen it was really pretty complicated but um you pulled it off i love that lockup that you guys have when you're like almost cheek to cheek and just the different colors were playing on your faces like the two sides for the two for the two sabers were mixing together you know um well now that you mentioned that the we built the fight so we built the fight scene in three pieces so there's the first clash in the woods yeah there's the by the barn and then there's the fight in the swamp and we took each fight and we started from basically a lover's embrace so we because the whole fight is basically about a broken heart and lost love i wanted to see how we could get them during a fight into positions very intimate so like at first you know that pose that you're talking about where they're very close face to face eye to eye arms up you know almost in this kind of vulnerable position Mm -hmm. and then the second piece ends up he has her pinned against the the barn the cabin you know face to face very close almost like a kiss um and right before that he's behind her with his arms around her and then of course it ends with her on top of him with the this, this hilt to his chest so we we actually started with those moments and then worked backwards um, and reverse engineered the fight to get them to those positions. Wow. Yeah, that's how, that's how we did that part. It was kind of fun to do. <laughs> well, it worked. Thank you. It, it definitely worked. I, I loved it. I mean, I know I keep complimenting everything, but I le- and, but you can hear everything I'm saying is a little detail. I, I legitimately have watched it multiple times, and I really love what you guys did. It's well, it's well, amazing. thank you. Thank you. That really means a lot. Thank you. It's, you know, we had no money. And so when people enjoy it, it just, that really does mean a lot. You just, you know, we've worked so hard, put everything we have into it. The, the thing that you hope is that it actually is successful. If it flops and no one, and everybody hates it, that's always a little bit of. But that's just it though. How many multi hundred million dollar blockbusters bombed? That's true. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no heart in it at all. And you guys ran it pretty much on nothing but that and and it shines through that entire feature i mean it really does thank you and like we talked about that is a lot of what's missing from star wars it can get very sterile you know and very because of the amount of effects going into it because of the and i know jj with force awakens tried to bring it back to practical effects and they're trying to do it again but still well i mean you can look sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but no i personally feel that that's the problem with the prequels is that they were too clean oh god yeah I, I, and i know people hate on hayden christensen and natalie portman and and all them for for the you know the wooden performances but they're literally having to talk about the fall of anakin freaking skywalker while he's acting that opposite a ball on a stick like there's you know like lucas went so effects heavy on that like, if you look at the behind-the-scenes stuff, there, there's no vehicles they're in. There's no... Like, you can sit in Skywalker's speeder. 
You know, the guest right. we had on earlier today, Mark Austin, worked for ILM and was Boba Fett in the special editions for A New Hope. And he was like, you could sit in that speeder. You go behind the scenes on what Hayden Christensen was having to be this character falling from grace. And he's literally in a box with a fake steering wheel, having to pretend that he's flying over Coruscant. Yeah. You know, and talking to something that is literally a ball on a stick. Like, it is. You know, there was. Sorry. There was no feeling to it. So how do you expect to get emotional performances out of actors that have nothing to emote with or to, yeah. you know? Sure, for sure. It's too bad that he got such a bad rap because I actually think he's a good actor. Like, he's been in other films where he's in I think he was doing the best he could with what he had. But, exactly. They all were. But, yeah, but when it comes to, like, the, the the cleanness and the slickness, that's the part they met. You know, the original Star Wars was the thing that made it brilliant was the dirtiness of it. The droids are never clean except at the end when they're getting awards, but they're always dirty and rusty and Mm -hmm. space wasn't clean. And the fight scenes, like you look at the fight scene in empire. I mean, it's dirty. Like it's, you know, Darth is throwing stuff at Luke and he's stumbling around and he's, you know, in the last one, when, um, he beats Darth, you know, he's, he's like, wildly hacking at his arms hacking his arm off you know at the end of return Mm -hmm. Um, it's not this elegant ballet we definitely wanted to go back to that messy because it's so emotional when Luke is defeating his father you know it's just this heart wrenching moment and he's trying to save his dad you know we wanted to try to go back to that without this ballet so we really didn't uh want the bites to look clean or pretty we wanted it to be malfunctioning visceral and yeah like in the swamp like it was hard enough for you guys to walk right much less fight so it's just like hey swing it around and try to get him right and eris you defend yourself as best you can yeah and it it added to the messiness of it yeah but see that messiness is the organicness of it it's the life and it. it's why we've loved Star Wars since the early 70s. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I know it was lost for a while, but with Force Awakens and Last Jedi and, you know, you guys making fan fiction the way you are, it, it's it's almost like it's being resuscitated. You know, it, it, it's going back to, to, wow, this is why these guys have absolutely adored, you know, and when I say guys, I mean guys and girls, but, you know, this is why these guys have loved this thing forever. So, you know, it's important to do it the way that, that you guys did it. And I think Disney, you know, realized that it's important to put some sort of humanity back into it. You know, I I mean, the the only part of the prequels that stood out to me was when Obi-Wan was screaming his heartbrokenness at Anakin while he was on fire, you know, nine, 12, nine, 12 hours worth of movie for, a two minute scene that stuck with me forever. And the rest of it, I couldn't tell you what happened, but that right there, because it was messy and it was driven on emotion and not slickness. And how cool can we make this look and how, you know, it was that. And you guys were able to capture that, you know, with, I mean, I'm telling you, man, the first time I watched it, when he was just pleading, don't. And all you said was give me a reason, man, Oh, it sold it hard, man. That was so good. Thank you. Was that in the script? Yeah. Give me a reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know that we improv some of that. I mm-hmm. can't remember exactly which. Um. Yeah, because he just wants him to say he loves her. Right. He just wants him to say, I love you. Say I love you. That's all I want. Yeah. And isn't that such a metaphor for what we really do in relationships that oh, aren't sure. that aren't a hundred percent functional? Like. Yeah. I, that, that, yeah, 100%. I, notice I, me. Even if I have to hurt you, notice me. Right. Exactly. The And I wouldn't, you know, anyone out there who's listening who wants to do a fan film, I would highly recommend doing away with anything fancy like that and just think about a story like that right. just that moves you. Like, I, I think the rule of thumb I always go by is what touches me the most. Like, the idea of the idea for me breaking someone else's heart because of a, a quote noble choice I've made is really hard to reconcile right uh, and 
he is forced to look at the pain he has caused like that you don't need a lightsaber battle for that that's just icing um anyone else making a film i would really encourage them to look at what touches them if it's star wars for example what touches them the most right and go with that moment of but i mean and, and it i mean look at our society today how selfish it has become you know it's I'm going to do for me. That That's like the new battle cries. I'm, I'm going to find, what is it, find my bliss. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people subscribe to that, but that is such a selfish way of thinking because it, it almost dehumanizes everybody else around you. Mm-hmm. It kind of shuts your conscience off because you're like, I know this is going to hurt so-and-so. This is going to hurt my parents. This is going to hurt this person that, that is in love with me. And th- this is going to hurt this. This is gonna, But, you you know, you're, well, I'm going to go find my bliss. And that's like the new battle cry for, for, for our society is, you know, like, tuck in. You know, it's all about you and making you this and making you that. And it it most people, unfortunately, until it's too late, don't see the aftermath of what that choice is you know like right. i mean i don't know yeah like i i I, uh, I, I i don't know i just found a lot deeper stuff going on in <laughs> when i was watching good you know the force and the fury than just oh wow a really cool lightsaber fight with a dramatic yeah. ending i was like oh yeah i can totally see why she is coming at him so hard mm-hmm. you know like you don't get to invest in me and then walk away for something else with no explanation. Right. You know, know, in the rehearsals to that, we did come up with some pretty elaborate, like backstories on, we did a lot of um, rehearsal before this whole thing. Um, A lot of time just with the two of them, with Eris and Deb, just being a couple Mm -hmm. and what it was like before he left and what the argument sounded like. I mean, you guys rehearsed, they're not rehearsed, but like improved the breakup hmm. of what was that like of leaving someone? Uh, and we used some of that actually in the shooting of it. In fact, when, um, when he falls onto the ground after he takes the face, um, you know, he looks up and he sees her for the first time, you know, and says, Kira, why? And, uh, you know, you're taking everything from me. When she goes to attack him again, we're on Eris, he's on the ground, and I told Deb, without telling Eris, I told Deb to say, I lost the baby. And Oh, so Jesus. She, yeah, I, I tell her to say, I lost the baby. And uh, when he said, and, she, and, then, and then attack. So she says it and attacks. And when he says, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. And he backs up. That is all improv. That all just came out of that moment of like adding some levity or not levity, but gravity yeah. to the, um, yeah, I know what you mean. It's uh, yeah. Anyway, no, and, you guys pulled it off, man. I mean, Deborah, that the, you could see the ghost of that relationship that you guys improv. You could see the ghost of it without yeah. having to be told it. Like it was there. So, yeah, I mean, you guys sold the crap out of it. I totally got that there was this whole thing underneath. And you could. You could see the ghost outline of this, like, potential for happiness that turned into this much, you know, bitterness. And, yeah, you guys yeah. said, yeah, it was amazing. Well, thank you. You guys are welcome. That is amazing. <laughs> Jason's amazing. I think. We both owe each other chocolate. What I wish that everyone could see is how little time both actors had to pull off such weighty moments. You know, it's really hard as an actor when it's raining and miserable and you're cold and hungry and you're running late and the sun is going down Mm. to go, okay, act and be broken now. Go. Like, in two takes. I mean, you know, when she has to say, you took everything from me, we had, what, three takes, Mm. four at the most because we were running late we had to go to the swamp after that right. so like <laughs> and then after the swamp we had to do some reshoots oh that's right <laughs> so yeah so I was like freezing from the swamp and then we had realized that something we had shot earlier didn't work because Portland weather is very finicky and we had two days of semi sunshine like just overcast and then the middle day it was pouring rain yeah. so we realized that one of the days that we had shot it just wasn't gonna work the way that 
the way that we had shot it. And so we had to redo something. So I ended up, <laughs> I ended up after being completely dirty, going and jumping into a shower with my clothes on to get all the mud off. You showered with your clothes on? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So that way I could get all the mud off of the clothes. And then we went and shot those. Yeah. Then we went and did those reshoots right. when I was like <laughs> dripping wet. From from the shower as the sun's going down, so we really had to push. It was but a force pull section. Yeah, the force trying to pull. get the get the saber out of his hands. Right. Nice. So, yeah. But I love that stuff. Push our yeah, boundaries for sure. Exactly. Well, we need to have you guys back on Absolutely. when it can be Steps and I, because this has been a blast, and I know he's going to yeah, be jealous of you. my conversation. So, haha. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so give links for everything, not not just the Force and the Fury. I like what you guys do. Thank you. Uh, cinematically, a lot more than a lot of the blockbustery stuff. So you guys plug yourselves away. You've got carte blanche. Go ahead. Everywhere uh, we can find you. <laughs> sounds good. So you can find anything about me on my website, uh, which is just debrasmith.me, um, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, smith.me. Um, and on there, I've got links to my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, all those things, as well as upcoming projects. Uh, so everything about me would be on there. And uh, same for me, really. Uh, my full name, Jason Satterlund, S-A-T-T-E-R-L-U-N-D. And that is basically, that's my that's my Twitter, that's my Facebook, that's my Instagram, and my website, jasonsatterlund.com. If you go there to jasonsatterland.com, you can see The Force and the Fury. You can also see Splinter Cell Extraction. You can see the movie trailer for The Record Keeper that we were talking about, including a teaser for The Planet Tender, the follow-up. If you go to YouTube, um, it's actually on the channel for my company. My company is Big Puddle Films. So if you go to the Big Puddle Films channel, not only will you see all of this work, but I do a vlog – called filmmaking for vidiots <laughs> nice it's basically film I, I, I do a lot of teaching and training around the world for filmmakers and showing tips and techniques and things um and i do a lot of uh yeah just how to how to survive in this business how to get good shots the power of camera movement how to work with actors etc etc a lot of different things um i should do one for force and fury i haven't you done should. one yet yeah that'd there be you fun. go Ooh, we've come up with more ideas. <laughs> Aha! Oh. Collaboration. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it has been a blast, awesome. you guys. Um, yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, y'all need to check out Force and the Fury if you haven't already. If you have, watch it again. There's a lot of nuance. If you didn't listen to this episode, there's way more underneath than you thought you saw the first time. So you definitely need to watch it again. Absolutely. See if you can tell when it's actually raining and when it's actually sunny. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There were there were days when it was raining so hard we couldn't even record sound. Dang. Hmm. So, Easter eggs in there for you. I'll let you know. Yeah, you, you try to figure out where that was. <laughs> but we will definitely have you guys back on. Um, I love having repeat guests. I love having new uh, stuff for people to get out there and and hear about so um i'll definitely keep in touch with you guys and we will yes. definitely do this again great thank awesome. you so much no thank sweat <laughs> until next time until next time may the force be with you may the force be with us all <laughs>